for us, it was figuring out all the elements of that encounter between Alima and the audience to make it more than a scroll through, but an actual moment. Hey everyone, it's Noah Barnett, the VP of Marketing here at Feather. And today in the studio, I'm joined by Charlie Kunzer and Netta Azafar. Welcome. Hi there. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're so excited to have you all and talk through a campaign that you all have put together that has just been incredible. And so before we do that, though, we'd like to give you an opportunity to really introduce yourselves. And so I'd love to know, like, what was the squiggle that took you on this path to now get you here today in the work that you do with nonprofits? Um, I guess maybe I can start. Uh, this is Charlie. So uh, how I came to Alima is a bit of a roundabout way, really. I come from a fairly international background. I'm originally from Stockholm, Sweden, uh, and I studied um, international relations and history at university and really wanted to get into the humanitarian space when I graduated. Uh, and I did that in London, hence the, uh, the accent got stuck. I then uh, had a bit of a short uh, misguided stint at JP Morgan and realized uh, more than ever that that part of business wasn't for me. And uh, about 20 years ago, I moved to New York City and uh, arrived here and went immediately to Doctors Without Borders and uh, started working for them where I stayed for about 11 years and um, really learned the nuts and bolts of what it's like working in the humanitarian field. Uh, and it was, a, it was a great time. And in about 2015, I got approached by um, Alima, which was then only based in Dakar, Senegal, and also in Paris. Uh, people I knew who I worked with at MSF or Doctor Borders uh, approached me and asked me if I was interested in starting the U.S. section of Alima because we were a very young organization at the time. Well, we still are. It just started in 2009. So there were sort of six years in, they wanted to start expanding west to the, uh, you know, to the U.S. I mean, it was so exciting starting an, uh, an organization from the, from, from the start, from the ground here. So it was literally sitting at the kitchen table you know, figuring out how to do uh, set up donation sites, how to issue tax receipts, uh, you know, how to register with the IRS. It was all these things um, was super exciting and really fun and a lot of work. But I, I, I just loved it, actually. It was really fun. And in 20 um, at that point, I was a development manager for Alima when I came on board. And now I think about 2018, I took over as executive director and has we've sort of been steadily growing uh, the organization uh, since then. It's been it's been a, it's been a great journey. It's an incredible history, and it's it's always interesting how every person I ask in nonprofits about their journey, they always said I went to something else. In your case, J.P. Morgan, yeah. <laughs> it just wasn't for me. Uh, and we always find our way back into this work of impact. Neda, what about you? How did you get into partnering with Alima and the work that you do today? Well, I I always knew I wanted to be in the nonprofit space and do things that would, you know, just make things better, but. Definitely. You said squiggly. I took that squiggly, windy, um, I like to say scenic route. I I got into marketing because I thought, oh, you know, that'll be easy. I'll be done at four and, you know, just go volunteer or something. I'm just completely naive and unrealistic. Uh, especially what's so funny about that is my first job was at a digital advertising tech startup, which we all know is definitely not 
the kind of job you leave it for. You know, you you live there, you're there all day and night. So the analysis was just totally off. But I'm so thankful for that job, um, for my mentors there. They taught me how to think at work and how to approach problems as a marketer. And I did that whole time keep a foot in the social good world. I was always volunteering. I was a big sister for many years. I tutored, I cleaned beaches, but it was it was hard to juggle, especially as my career was, you know, taking off. And I parlayed from advertising tech to music tech. I joined MySpace. I don't know if you remember that. Um, more lessons, lots of them, very painful ones, but really instructive to me as a marketer and a storyteller. I don't think that I would understand brand building and what it takes to get people from point A to point B uh, with the brand if it weren't for that experience at MySpace. So valuable, but like I said, very painful. And at a certain point, I had to take stock. You know, all that fast-paced growth and learning, um, my career was was going great, but it hadn't been my intention. I realized that I was going to need to integrate my passion for purpose and my professional work uh, more fully, right? Um, there just wasn't going to be enough time for me to to do them separately, you know, because all of that work, it meant there was no time for volunteering. All that had gone away, right? So then I became more intentional. This is about maybe 10 years ago about where I focused my energy. And um, I started to shift and turn myself toward my original final destination, which was the social good space. And I used my music experience and I found my way to the Recording Academy, which is the organization behind the Grammys. And what many people don't know about the Academy is that it's a nonprofit. It's actually a very big one. Um, several, they, they do advocacy work. They have music education programs at museum, health and human services. Um, you know, it's, it's the whole deal. And so that was my way into the nonprofit sector. And I've stayed in the space since. After the Academy, I started working at a nonprofit marketing agency, Entertain Impact. That's where I met Charlie um, and began working with Alima. Uh, the specialty there was connecting celebrities and cultural influencers to social causes in campaigns. So you can totally see the connective tissue there. And just like that, you know, it was slow. Like I said, I took that scenic route, um, but each job kind of led to the next and got me closer to where I had always wanted to be and where I am now. Uh, not long ago, I set my own agency up, Nazar Works, and now the focus is 100% on helping purpose-driven organizations tell their stories more effectively to more people. And reflecting on my squiggly line scenic route, I'm really happy I took that long road because of everything I picked up along the way, you know, all the people I met and learned from, all the inputs I've had. I don't think I would be able to do as good of a job for the nonprofits I work with had I not had all those experiences and lessons, you know, as the head of marketing communications at a big global brand or scrappy digital marketer in content, in PR, 
you know, all of that informs my work. And um, it's crazy when you think about how life works and sometimes you kind of end up where you wanted to end up, but you didn't even know you were on your way and maybe you even thought you were lost, but suddenly you're there and you're like, oh my God, this is, I've been coming here all along. So that's my story. Well, thank you all both for sharing of your stories. And you mentioned it, that there was a collision point. And I think you mentioned a bunch of other collision points that got you to this moment where you all met and really partnered together uh, back in October uh, with Alima when they launched the campaign uh, Breath for All. This campaign is incredible. And before we get into the details of how the campaign was created and the impact it's had for Alima, we want to give our listeners a sneak peek of the campaign. Here is Alima's Breath for All campaign video. Breath is a gift, one everyone needs, but not everyone can access. At Alima, our aim is to bring this gift to all. Take a moment to breathe with us. Find a comfortable position. Draw attention to this moment and to your breathing. Now, breathe. Inhale through your nose. Exhale through your mouth. As the air flows through you, spreading life, let thoughts come and go. Breathe in. There's a tragic loss of breath as millions of patients who need medical oxygen lack access to it. Help us change that. Every time I watch that, I just feel it in my body. It's truly an incredible campaign and just has such power. And so could you share a little bit more about this, Charlie, and kind of what was the idea of this campaign? And then how was the collision between you all uh, able to bring this to life? Yeah, so we actually worked with um, Neda when she worked for the Entertain Impact. Um, and we worked on a different campaign in that at that time. And it was a um, campaign that was created by our colleagues in France, uh, and they had used a creative agency in Paris, and we tried to sort of translate it to the U.S., which um, sort of worked, but not quite. Uh, <laughs> so we struggled a bit with that together. We were we were uh, we we're both uh, trying to sort of figure out how to how to take something that's very culturally French uh, or European, um, and, and 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 sort of adapted for U.S. audiences. 
So, uh, so we got to know each other there and really enjoyed working together. And, and I, I just really thought that uh, same impacts team uh, with Nada being the project manager at that point had this had this uh, incredible can-do spirit and just we, we tried so hard to make it work. Um, and a lot of lessons learned from that time. Uh, and roll forward to 2023, we're like, okay, so let's do a US campaign that is geared towards this audience. And we really think about who Alima's donors and supporters are and how we can raise a, uh, awareness and, and, and uh, visibility for the brand in the US. And uh, sort of a core pillar of what Alima does is, is, is innovation. And we wanted this creative, innovative approach, something that stands out, that's not the run-of-the-mill kind of uh, children with tears in their eyes type of fundraising campaigns. We wanted something that reflected the sort of innovative uh, nature of Alima. And, and, Alima and, and Neda and her team came up with amazing creative concept. Uh, and we settled on uh, on Breath for All. You know, it's not it's a, it's a part of what Alima does is... is, uh, is um, uh, oxygen, obviously, uh, working to to get the lack of access to medical oxygen to our patients. So, you know, we're a medical NGO that works on the front lines delivering emergency medical care. And, and obviously, oxygen is a huge part of that. Uh, I think COVID, more than anything, highlighted the issue of lack of oxygen, uh, of medical oxygen. And we just wanted to merge this with who Alima's donors are, what they're, what they're, you know, what they do outside being supporters of Alima. You know, we find that a lot of people are interested in international and global health, but they're also interested in wellness and meditation and, and, and yoga and things like that. So uh, we try to decide to merge that together uh, to, uh, to highlight the, the, this lack of access for, for, uh, for oxygen, frankly. Yeah, and it's a wonderful collision. I love how you shared the story that you tried to translate a concept from another country. I think others listening to this podcast will say that they've seen another campaign, maybe in the same country or the same cause area, and tried to translate to their organization, and it doesn't necessarily work. And your response to that was it's, to go back to your audience. Yeah. Exactly. And really, I, what I loved, and it was beautiful, and that's why I want to highlight this, is this idea of returning to your audience first and saying, how can we understand our audience and connect them with our cause? Because our cause and our community are unique. And we need to come up with a campaign that bridges that gap and drives connection there. Did you all do, or what type of intentional work did you all do to better understand your audience? Or was that understanding of the audience already something you had and you just tapped into that as you developed this campaign? I think it's actually going to be interesting because I think Alima's goals and the challenges that we had to overcome that Charlie alluded to, um, it's they're kind of common. And I think most listeners would relate, right? But the approach we ended up taking is less common. And so the output, the campaign itself, if you look at it, you've seen it. It's an ask from a nonprofit wrapped in a service. And it's a service not to the organization's clients or donors, but to the audience, like you said, Noah. How we got there, I think, is interesting. And if I when I explain it, then it's going to feel like natural, right? So when Charlie and Alima came to Nazar Works, the aim was we need to raise awareness about our work um, to U.S. audiences. We want a U.S. campaign. So very straightforward. But, you know, the marketers on this are, you know, we always ask ourselves, okay, so what does awareness mean, right? And what does awareness take uh, to get 
someone to be aware of something um, because our audiences are busy, right? So they're encountering things all the time and we don't remember them. So for that awareness to happen, you need it to happen at a certain time in a context, a presentation, uh, to turn um, people's brains on, right? Get them to pause and connect with what's in front of them and actually hold it within themselves long enough to digest it and then remember it. So for us, it was figuring out all the elements of that encounter between Alima and the audience to make it more than a scroll through, but an actual moment and a lasting memory. And that was the point of the research, right? Is to, to figure that out. So we researched our audience, people who give and people who don't. It wasn't just looking at Alima's donors, but you know, it's kind of 2D flat. This is something Charlie and I talked a lot about, but like, who are they? And what do they pay attention to outside of global news and Alima and, and humanitarian efforts in the world? And we looked at the psychology of humanitarian giving, and there are inherent impediments to storytelling about faraway people and places and specifically about medical issues, right? The campaign Breath for All, like Charlie said, it's, it's about an issue, medical oxygen access in remote areas of sub-Saharan Africa where Alima works, right? So it's just not relevant for most Americans, right? Even what medical oxygen allows, breath and breathing, even that we take for granted. So that was just a reality we needed to actively account for. And to do that, then we had to do more research to look at, okay, so what is relevant to our audience? What what are they thinking about and doing outside of you know our little world? And that research and discovery gave us very rich cultural insights, audience insights, and watchouts um, and, and points of guidance. We know people are busy. Um, it's both pathology and badge of honor, right, at the same time. And you've got, at this point in 2023 and early 2023, we were started working together on this campaign. You had the latent impact pressures of the pandemic and then inflation coming coming in. So we're seeing people are less secure, um, less confident about their future and their ability to shape it. That's really important for nonprofits. Generally, too, Americans we're seeing are becoming, um, you know, more isolated and inward focused. Um, there's news articles, right? Higher rates of cynicism and anxiety. Uh, depression, but on the flip side, more people seeking help for those things and taking, um, putting an effort to do self-care like therapy, meditation, and breath work to try and establish uh, that sense of stability and agency within themselves and, and through themselves. So you've seen the campaign, but I, I wonder, I bet hearing these points and some of these insights. Now, if you go back and you rewatch the video, you'll see it in a different light. I mean, you'll see how we address and play to some of these insights point by point. And for this, I don't take credit. I have to give all the credit to Malu Lara and Steph Johnson. They're the creative directors, you know, so smart and just so clear eyed the whole way through. Literally, um, we asked people to pause right? Explicitly, just take a moment to breathe. That was their line. And 
It was to create the context and the space for the story that we knew Alima needed to tell. Um, and then everything after that, we, we don't rush it, you know, for the people who do take that moment, we deliver just a bit of relief to them. Right. So the visuals that's six and five, the artist who did the work, you know, just amazing what he created the music bed, um, from massive music, you know, shout out to them. They, they work together, the visuals, the audio, the script, and we were trying to transport the audience truly, you know, most marketers. And I, I got this feedback working on the campaign. We're like, okay, you got him now hit him with the message, you know, get to the ask, but we don't do that. You know, that, that video is like a minute, 50 seconds long. And we stay true to that moment. We don't interrupt what's about to happen. We are with the audience truly um, because we know based on that research where they're at. Right. So we're trying to meet them where they are, which is focused on themselves, not, um, you know, in a selfish way, but they're just trying to get through the struggle of their day. So we, Alima here, we take a beat and we put our focus on them too. And we connect with them by helping them connect within themselves and reflect. And we get them believing in their own power and ability to change things. Cause that was another thing for your listeners. We saw in the research, people need to be reminded of that and it will serve nonprofits well to incorporate that reminder in their creative. That's why the meditation comes first. And then, and only then once we've gotten the pause, we've offered our audience something to help, you know, ease their burden. We've reminded them of their blessings and the gifts and abilities that they do possess. Um, then we talk about Alima. Then we present the needs of others and we affirm our audience's power to give relief to others and we make the ask, right? And I think that's the reason the campaign works. Um, and we got so many influencers to say yes and to share the content. And the reason the video is um, gets such high completion rates, it's, it's, it's beautiful and it's lovely. And I think that matters a lot. Um, but I think it's really because we took that time to know our audience, understand them, meet them where they were, and use that to just connect first. Absolutely. And again, it's, it's a, there's so many great takeaways from what you just shared that I, other nonprofits can, can harvest for their own campaigns and think well about it. But the one that you just emphasized, and I want to highlight it again, is just the ability to go to your audience first and then walk them to where you want versus trying to get them to come to you. I always have this bridge analogy as like your causes over here and your communities over here, and we're trying to coerce them to walk over the bridge but we need to walk over the bridge and like come with them and then give them kind of confidence and maybe purpose to come over the bridge to the cause and to connect and be a part of community. Um, and this campaign really illustrates that effectiveness because you started with serving the audience and meeting them where they are and then bridging that gap, uh, which was incredibly powerful. The other thing that stood out to me was you mentioned the challenge with storytelling and storytelling gets a lot of, uh, it would probably be on like one of those Spotify lists of like a, a track that people always listen to, but the power of story only works if you can embed experience. And I think when you have story multiplied by experience, it actually creates 
like memories and this deeper connection, because just telling you a story without first connecting you into the story or providing an experience where you can close that distance. You mentioned distance between, you know, where people are and the cause you all are serving, but you create an experience that closed that gap and then embedded the story and experience time story, I think just has like such a more incredible impact uh, that we can all uh, heed from this campaign. So thank you for walking us through that. I think that's the type of content we that's like so to get to. Well, one thing I wanted to transition from is this campaign was beautifully designed and it was incredibly thoughtful. It was connected to the audience. But as marketers, we know we have to actually like promote this and kind of uh, market this, you know, this idea, this, this beautiful video, this campaign, you know, everything that the research brought to life. Charlie, could you kind of describe how Alima approached marketing the campaign across different channels, both maybe traditional and digital? How did you all get the word out? Yeah, so we really approached the, 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 the marketing of the campaign across the different channels, you know, mostly the digital ones, but some more traditional ones as well. So we, we launched it in October across sort of several platforms. Um, we developed a, a really beautiful landing page, if I may say so, that I, I really, the whole point was to sort of drive people to this landing page where they could interact with the campaign and buy merchandise and, 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 and obviously donate, which is a, which is a, a large goal of what we're trying to do. And then we ran both paid and organic posts across uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, and also YouTube. And we also ran uh, email marketing campaigns across our uh, donor base. And then we really, which I think maybe was one of the more effective ones, even though it's a kind of smaller number of people, but we probably got a higher response rate, was really to engage our board and our, our, our sort of what we call friends of Alima, uh, we really engaged them to, to, to reach out on a more personal level saying, Hey, I'm involved with this campaign. You should check it out or share it with your friends. Uh, so I did it. I know Neda did it to a great extent as well, or a great success, I should say. And all the people who worked on these campaigns really reached out to their networks as well. So it was this more personal connection to, to, to the people who, who we approached. And also through one of uh, Neda's team, we also did a really robust uh, influencer outreach strategy where we got, I think, about 25 uh, or so influencers to to post, uh, to comment, to to share, to to get engaged with the campaign, and that too, I think, really drove a lot of traffic to the landing page and and, and the people engaging with the with the campaign, and. Uh, when we looked at the influencers again, uh, Neda's team did amazing uh, research on on who we should approach uh, as an influencer. So we use kind of more influencers who, who are sort of in the healthcare space, who who are in the wellness space, who are yogis, meditation uh, doctors and nurses and medical people. Maybe not sort of super celebrities. Uh, and, the, and a lot of these people have, have great audiences and really a huge, um, really high numbers of, of, of um, response rates when they post things. So we looked at them um, and they really were super helpful uh, and we were delighted to work with them. And, and, and it was really, you also get like a really interesting feedback for when you work with influencers as well. And you get, you know, people who don't necessarily knew Alima very well or at all really beforehand who didn't see how they reacted and how they 
uh, engaged with the uh, with the campaign. So that was sort of immediate feedback as well, which was really really exciting and and and, and great. And lastly, I should say, uh, as a part of the sort of activation, was uh, the campaign has some really stunning visuals. It's really beautiful uh, artwork that was created by Ezekiel Pinney from Six and Five. So um, we. Sh- which we used obviously everywhere, but we also really wanted to, um, uh, as a part of the sort of activation of the campaign, we created a merchandise series as well. So we, we did uh, T-shirts and hoodies and sweatshirts that we, we, we also sold as a part of the campaign. And uh, the two have been really popular because they're really great looking, frankly. Uh, that's great. It seems like it was a very robust digital campaign, but I think the thing that stood out to me, and you already mentioned one of the benefits of working with influencers But even more than that, given the personal connection of this campaign and the fact that first and foremost was a a audience focused service that then invited people into the story story of Alima, you know, hearing about that from an individual feels more personal and connective. And so I can imagine that that was part of the success of that. But was there other aspects of the influencer portion of the campaign that you all learned from that you think others could apply as they're thinking about tapping influencers for their campaigns? Two things that I would give as general tips. One, give yourself time. Uh, Not in a passive way where you just kind of let things roll for weeks, but, you know, active time. Uh, You know, if if you want to have celebrities and influencers join your campaign, if that's truly important for your nonprofit, then, allocate the proportional time toward that as a marketing initiative, you know, um, staff the initiative well, uh, attend the meetings, pay attention, make sure your team is paying attention. Um, you know, and what that means is a lot of times uh, some of the fundamentals aren't in place yet. And I think that's really important before you even consider taking um, influencer marketing on. Because if you don't have those fundamentals in place, either the initiative won't succeed or it will succeed. And all it will really do is shed light on all the things that aren't in place yet. So have a strategy, get your digital channels set up. We did that with Alima before before this, before even our first campaign together, right? We did a full digital audit, audit um, and we set up, you know, donor journeys and, uh, onboarding, you know, cues for social media follows, you know, basic things like that. Um, So I would definitely say to nonprofits interested, do that work first. Um, Next, I would say, put yourself in the shoes of the artist or celebrity um, or influencer, you know, you're trying to engage. So nonprofits will want celebrities and influencers when they believe that the association will lift up, you know, their cause and elevate their work and credibility. So then be realistic uh, because it's the same on the flip side, right? So ask yourself, what will supporting your campaign do for the influencer? Um, Will it lift their brand? Will it boost their credibility and appeal? Um, Just being honest and get those answers to be yes. Um, And I'll just add as a tip, uh, because you did, you mentioned, the, the, the creative and, you know, how beautiful it was and it, and it is, um, that's important too. Uh, artists are sensitive, passionate, and creative people. Influencers care a lot about their brand and their aesthetic. So 
for nonprofits, uh, when making your campaign, invest in the creative, you know, develop the campaign with the intention of influencer application, um, amplification, um, and artist integration, uh, right in mind, right at the outset, um, as part of the strategy. And we did this when, as our works did this breath for all campaign for Lima, we didn't make the campaign and then decide to ask, uh, wellness and meditation influencers to share about it. You know, we made the campaign and the assets with those influencers in mind, um, and knowing what we'd want them to do for us and being realistic about what it would take to get them to agree. So, you know, give it time, uh, be realistic. And that requires empathy uh, for the artist and influencer you're inviting uh, to participate in your campaign. And um, just one more quick point I would say is be flexible. You know, life rarely works out as planned. Uh, Working with artists and influencers is no different. So have a plan and have a backup. Um, and another backup just in case. And be optimistic. Could you speak more to that, Charlie? What do you mean by optimistic? No, no, opportunistic. You know, things, you never know what's going to come your way. You never know who um, um, someone says, oh, I know this person, they'd be great. They have, you know, he's super interested in what you're doing. So I feel like we we got a lot of people getting involved and getting interested and wanted to help and it was so it was like a whole village coming together to put this campaign together there was a lot of people who did it for much less um fee than they would have charged or so well free sometimes um and you you know you you never know where it's going to take you and how, how it's going to amplify the campaign so we we uh, yeah optimistic is um is definitely part of the uh, buzzwords i think with our with our campaign it uh, it was uh, hugely helpful Pretty early on, you know, you can actually use the influencer responses as an indication of where the campaign's likely to go and how the general audience might respond. Um, I mean, you could see it, it didn't it didn't play well to the athlete audience. We didn't have a lot of success there. Um, we had crazy success with the wellness and meditation influencers. They were so into it um, and. They were so responsive. They were so positive. And several of them did, you know, more than one video, more than one story. So you just have to adjust then as you're seeing it, you know, you kind of have to pivot and say, okay, okay, this is what's working. Let's focus more here and let's do these things now um, that we weren't planning to do before. What I love about that last tidbit and Charlie, you, you really pushed on this is that in 2023 and beyond, we as organizations need to design campaigns that don't require full control and this willingness to be the activator of the community to respond to the cause versus kind of, I think, a traditional approach, which was very much of a control. We have to be less focused on controlling the narrative only and controlling the campaign and having predictable transactional outcomes and really lean into the organization and the campaign being an activator of potential and allowing people to add and be a part of creating the story around that to their own audience and their own um, communities that they're trying to connect back to the cause. And especially, as you mentioned, when you're working with influencers, like they care deeply about their community, their community is everything to them and not expecting them to do exactly what you want them to do, but inviting them in to be a part of that 
is really powerful. And I think that works on the influencer side, but it also works on the individual side where you're inviting supporters and donors and board members and yourselves into the campaign to be a part of that. Uh, and that's hugely impactful and something I think many listening to this can think through as they design their own campaigns. Incredible campaign. I know I've really enjoyed kind of consuming the campaign even personally and really now feeling uh, the intention that you all designed into the campaign to serve the audience. Um, and I hope everyone goes and checks out this campaign and we'll definitely include the links to it in the show notes. Before we let you all go, I want to know how you all are measuring success of this campaign. That's often a question we as marketers are asked, which is like, was this successful? And that really anchors back to what's the measuring stick. So how are you all thinking about measuring success of this campaign? I should say that we, we obviously measure all the, the, uh, the, uh, the data that we bring in on the campaign, how, ma how many uh, people it reached, how many uh, more people we are subscribing to our newsletter, how many more followers we, we've received on, uh, on all the social media channels. So, so that's a huge metrics uh, that, that we put together and we wanted to measure. And, 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 it's, and it's also a lot of lessons learned, like what works and what, what you know sometimes doesn't work and what what we we next time we do a campaign how can we do it better so it's a it's a really interesting learning curve as well and uh you know we we did receive i think um some 600,000 people that the campaign has reached already so far which is really exciting and what we i think what one of the more interesting statistics that we learned was um, that people actually really sat through the entire video, even though, as Neda mentioned earlier, it's a longer video. It's, it's almost a, a minute and a half. And it was a really interesting thing to see most videos, how, how long people when, when people jump off when they watch a, a, a YouTube video versus how much people watched Alima's video and actually how, how the people actually watched the whole thing through was a really high percentage, which is super exciting for us. Neda, do you want to jump in on, on the more of the metrics that we, we used for, for measuring the, the success of the campaign? For Alima's Breath for All campaign, the goal was awareness and visibility, right? And um, in the first place, in my other, you know, question that, that you asked, I was saying how, you know, we defined what does that mean for us? You know, connection, relevance, engagement, and just kind of making, you know, what does it take for awareness to happen? And then from there, just that very lay, um, jargon-free kind of understanding of what does it take for people to become aware of you and to remember you, then we identified a number of, of KPIs tied to that ultimate goal, right? And for your listeners, it'll be some of those usual suspects, um, impressions and reach, follower growth, um, email signups, and the number of first-time supporters, right? Those types of things where we're looking at... Um, the reach and then what that resulted in, in terms of kind of an audience now in the future, um, who Alima can, can speak to regularly and just kind of count in their ecosystem. So we did that. And then for relevance specifically, we paid closer attention to some of those common engagement metrics. So we also looked at organic reach, right? Not just the reach that we're, we're getting because of paid or influencer posts, but how are the other posts outside of the campaign performing compared to, you know, previous performance? We definitely looked at video completion rates because that's the, that's the story. So um, getting people to stop 
and start the video, that's cute. You know, that's, you know, that's, that's key. That's, that's the pause, but then getting them to stick around and watch it, um, that shows that it was relevant to them. Um, and time spent, you know, those types of metrics, right? So right at the outset, when we clarified Alima's campaign objective of awareness um, and visibility and what that meant for us, immediately we tied metrics to it and we began tracking um, right then backward, actually to establish baselines and set targets for ourselves. And I definitely recommend this to listeners as well, right? So that you have a baseline. A lot of times you forget that and it's hard to get the data after the fact. Um, and then in addition to that, uh, I suggest people do this. We tracked a number of KPIs to help us gauge if we were on the right track along the way so that, you know, right during the campaign, we could analyze how things were going and if needed pivot before it was too late. And we did, we did actually do that. We did actually look at that data and pivot, um, multiple times on different, on different points. So for those, for us, uh, we looked at email engagement rates, sharing stats. Um, we paid close attention to click-throughs and uh, what people were doing on the landing page um, because uh, as part of, you know, Nazarworks campaign for Alima, right, there was influencer marketing. Like I said, we could use that um, as an indication of how the campaign was likely to perform. So we looked at influencer response rates. Um, we looked at how many influencers were agreeing to post the content as it was versus, you know, wanting to make changes and create their own. That was a good um, KPI for us. Um, and, and, and yeah, and we made, and we made changes just based on those things actually. And also which types of influencer niches, um, that, that was the other point I wanted to make, which types of influencers were agreeing. Um, and that was probably going to give us, we thought an indication of where, the general audience um, and might might also respond and how they might respond and which some which the which target audiences we had would likely respond better. So those are the things we we measured. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that depth. I think that's the biggest challenge of marketing often for organizations is really understanding how to showcase that success, both in uh hard impact, like awareness and engagement and dollars raised, et cetera. But one of the things you highlighted, which we push um, frequently here in the studio and part of our good marketing framework, is that the output you get from a campaign isn't just the impact delivered, but it's the learnings that you get to bring with you into the next campaign. And with that, I want to ask you all, like, what's next? Where, where do you all go from here now that this campaign is in market and you've learned? Where, where, where do we go from here? I really see uh, digital campaigns as a, as a, for an organization such as Alima, which is re relatively small in the US, uh, which suffers somewhat from lack of visibility. Um, you know, the channels that we have at our disposal to get new donors and to increase engagement with the organization. We got to think uh, of the lessons learned from this campaign and see what we do for 2024, uh, what that looks like, what what we think that uh, is going to get the attention of, of new donors again or new supporters and, and get um, visibility for the organization to a greater extent. I would say one of the things that we did and I would recommend, but we did this um, already, was 
looking at what we were going to say to people that we brought into the audience and just keeping that conversation going. Right. So for Alima, a big, you know, it was awareness and audience building and visibility, right? Okay. So I just went through those metrics. So it's reach and audience growth and follower growth. Great, great, great. And email signups. But um, how many times have, have you seen this where you get a bunch of email signups and you don't have an email calendar? <laughs> you know what I mean? And there's, you know, it takes like a week for the first email to go out and then there's this long gap. So um, we've already started working very closely with Alima's team um, so that, you know, there's going to be new social followers. And I, I, I want every nonprofit on this call to do this. If you're doing audience building and you have new social media followers, have a welcome message ready to go. You know, just DM them a welcome message. You know, think about if you're doing a big campaign, um, think about the social calendar and the content that you have coming up um, and think about it knowing that I'm likely to have a bunch of first time, you know, people, right? Um, and if they engage, they're going to keep seeing me in their feed. And if they don't, it's, it's almost, I don't want to say it's worthless, but, you know, you kind of lose it, right? Um, same thing with the with the email campaigns and taking the time to put together new journeys, um, reevaluating the, the the journeys that you have in place, making some improvements and, and maybe making some new ones that actually reference um, and reflect back on the, the campaign. So those are the things that we've, I can't say it's next because it's, it's happening now, but it'll keep happening so that we just continue to build on the influencer side. Same thing. This is a big one. You get an influencer to agree and they post and they share, keep talking to them, you know, keep engaging with them, say, thank you, send them a card, treat them like a donor because they, they are, they're just donating something different. They're donating their service. Right. And that's how they see it. They know what their fee should have been, you know, you know, they know what they should have made. So in their mind, they're taking that post and they think I just donated $4,000 to you. I just donated $3,000 to you and you didn't say thank you, or you didn't send them a card or you didn't send them anything. You know, that's, that's a shame because their fees are only going to go up. Yeah, I like the change of the question from what's next for Alima or the campaign to what's next for the people that engaged with the campaign. And that's what's next for us as an organization and being able to ask that question. What's next? How do we retain the momentum? How do we keep the momentum going? And that repurposing of the question uh, beautifully highlights that. So thank you both, Charlie and Nita. I'm really grateful for your time and this beautiful campaign. How can listeners, for one, engage with the campaign and two, stay connected to each of you to continue to learn as you all learn? I think a little, uh, just on the Alima side, we really obviously want you to go and check out the campaign. It's at breathforall.alima.ngo or on our social media channels, which is alima underscore org or org. Um, but just if you want to connect with, with me, uh, Anela, I'm on LinkedIn, Charlie Kunzer, feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to chat as well. So, but do, uh, for sure, go and check the campaign out. Ditto. Check out the campaign, Breath for All. Um, and I'm, I'm on LinkedIn at Azafar. And if you want to email me, um, you have questions or just kind of want to pick my brain about something, I'm open. Uh, and you can email hello at azarworks.com. 
Excellent. Well, this has been wonderful. We'll have to have you back in the studio maybe next year when you've learned 12 months more of information. Uh, grateful for you all and look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you so much, Noah. Thank you so much.